Hi, friend. You're listening to another episode of Wellness For You with Tony Gonzalez. This is the podcast addressing the stress first responders feel on a daily basis. Tony has been a police officer for 24 years and is currently a patrol sergeant, so she knows stress. Tony has developed daily mindful practices for relieving stress because life is too short. You can't wait for the perfect day, a vacation, or retirement to ease your mind and find inner peace. Let's start feeling less stressed today. Let's get into it. Sharing our story can be truly scary and letting people in into a world that we have kept private for many years is super scary. But there's something magical that happens when we allow people in. They see that they're not the only ones that have been through things and that they too can overcome anything and stay strong. Here's this other story of a friend who has overcome many things. Thank you, Dave. Hello, friends. I'm so excited to be here. Um, This is my good friend, Dave, and we have a very long history together, right, Dave? (laughs) Yes, we do. A very good history. Oh, yes, we do. I am super, super excited that you're here today and that you've agreed to come on the podcast. So I'm really, really excited, and thank you for doing this. Antonia, it is such an honor to be here with you today and to talk about this very relevant topic, um, especially when it comes to stress and law enforcement. And thank you for what you're doing. Seriously. I mean, you know, what you've done with your police department at Long Branch, with the resiliency, uh, the room, um, making, changing the subculture of law enforcement so that law enforcement professionals feel comfortable talking about the stressors that they're going through is extremely important and step one and making sure that we're all healthy. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'm, I'm super honored to have you here for many reasons. Um, and I just wanna start out by saying that we met in the police academy. We um, did. And that was a long time ago, um, but I was really um, glad that we, became, that we met there and that we became such close friends, you know? Oh, me too. And you know what, when I'm thinking about that, what cl- we were 194 basically yes we were 194 i still have my picture i don't have my class picture do you have the class picture i do i have it somewhere but i recently saw the picture that you posted of the long branch crew yes with uh at the time commandant matos yeah now who, who's a, such a good friend now and also of course you know uh, our, our u.s marshal for new jersey i let me tell you it's so crazy so he is the u.s marshal i went to a um award ceremony for one of our officers a couple years back and i heard his name but then i was like that can't be him and i was looking all over the room you know when we were in the academy um it's a whole different feeling you're not really looking at people's faces but those names are really real i would like to see him again i'll be honest with you i'd like to see him again i'm sure he'd like to be able to see you again too i do have the opportunity to see him often because of the bias stuff that we do and how the marshal's office is very uh, um, into uh, anti-bias and understanding bias crimes and bias incidents. So I get to see him often. I'll tell him. Yes, let him know. Let him know. So I want to talk about you. And I I, first of all, I want to ask you, how are you doing? 
Well, thank you. I, I'm doing good. I think, you know what, I'm doing as good as can be expected. I can yeah. tell you that, uh, you know, with this post-COVID um, pandemic that's going on, especially how it affects law enforcement, yes. and with the anti-law enforcement sentiment post uh, Mr. Floyd's murder, it has been probably the most trying times that I've been through in my 34-year law enforcement career. But yes. with saying that, I think, uh, honestly, I'm doing okay. Um, I'm not perfect. I'm not doing great, but I'm doing okay. But thank you for asking. You're very welcome. I, I, I love that because it is a trying time for us. And if we don't talk about it, it's like we're ignoring it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people tiptoe around um, the issues that we're dealing with out here. We know we're not all bad. Okay. We know that there's a lot more good than bad. Not talking about it and not dealing with it creates this other form of stress, you know, within ourselves and our agencies, right? It does. And, and it's, there's a necessity to talk about it because what I believe, when we allow a false narrative to be put out there, uh, or when we allow anybody to take a paintbrush and paint everybody with the same brush based on one person's actions. Yes. And, you know, we're doing a disservice, not only to who we are as human beings, but to our profession and to the community. So Absolutely. it is relevant to nest to talk about it. Yes. It's relevant to talk about the bad things that happen and the, the bad behavior. And it's also relevant to talk about the great things that we as law enforcement officers do on a daily basis yes. that never gets recognized. I love that. I love that. It's true. So, I think that, I mean, us talking about things like this, hopefully there's other people having these conversations, you know, and that they're speaking up for us, right? And I always say, well, I'm just, you know, we, ha we have to speak up. They have to speak up. It's up to us to also speak up and to, and to show the world that we are doing things out here, not only for the individuals, but as a collective, you know? Yeah, so true. And, you know, when you say speak up, and we're talking about the great things that law enforcement does on a, on a daily basis, you know, we also have to speak up for the bad things that law enforcement yes. does. And, you know, and I, you know, I post Mr. Floyd's murder, I have not had a conversation with one police officer, law enforcement professional and or community member that looked at what we saw, all of us, yeah. and said that that was okay. So, yeah. you know, and Tony, and Tony, you and I, I think are, and the majority of law enforcement, but you and I specifically, Yes. have been fighting uh, bad policing our entire career. Yes, we, we have. We, you know, because of who I am, uh, at, because I'm a gay man, and because yes. of who you are as a female and uh, Hispanic, we've been fighting uh, 100%. bad behavior. And we stand up and we say it, yep. you know, and, and so that's important too. It is important. And I, I'm glad that you said that because, um, a lot of times when you do stand up and say something, people label you and they say things that about you. And I just want to say that out here in the beginning, you, it bothers you. And then as you process it, you start realizing that it's okay to be that one person that stands up and says, Hey, this is not okay. I don't like that. And you know what? I'm not going along with this. Right. You know, very relevant statement because thank you. you know as I, I said before I'm, I'm openly gay and everybody yes. that knows me and probably most people that watch your pod, podcast have a relationship with you and I yes. um, right and they know that yes, I'm openly gay but you know 
I wasn't always openly gay. And, and those things, I, talking about our academy, I remember yes. uh, going to the academy. I remember the spotlight that was on you at the time. Yep. Um, for uncomfortable. In, yeah, <laughs> uncomfortable. But going in as a married couple at the time. Right. And, you know, the camera lens was focused on you the entire time. Yep. I also remember that, you know, we had so many different departments in our academy class. And I remember conversations I had with other recruits uh, on our team and also conversations I had with some of the troopers. Yeah. And they, they all knew or heard that there was potentially a gay uh, candidate in the, yes. in the class, but nobody knew who it was, right? I know. <laughs> so the funny part about that is that, you know, I, I went through with two other um, Asbury Park police officers at the time, Marshawn Love and Randall Hill, and God rest Randall Hill's soul. I know. Uh, he's no longer with us. But um, Marshawn is, and we're still very close friends. And so there, through the whole academy, because I don't fit the stereotype uh, necessarily of what yeah. people have been taught about a gay man, that, you know, they always thought that maybe it was Marshawn or maybe it was <laughs> Randall. And we used to joke around about that all the time post our graduation. Of course, we didn't joke around about it while we were there, the stress that comes along with the police academy. But uh, we joked around about it afterwards that I can't believe I said to Marshawn and Randall, that they thought you were gay and I was the gay one. That's funny. Well, it was hysterical. Well, interesting story about that is, um, so we were in the same platoon and I remember the whispering of, there's a gay guy in, the, in, our, in, our, in, in, this, in this academy. We got to find out who it is. And I'm like, I don't know what they're looking for. I said, because I already know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, you know, that that stayed with us and the thing is is it was never an issue it was never an issue we all knew that we were in this together for the closed-minded people that felt something that's their issue right look right. at the beautiful career that you've had with hard work and i want to talk about that so you've been in law enforcement for 34 years that is really amazing and i want to thank you for that for all those years of service what have you done in those 34 years? I know, but the well, people out here don't know. I want to, let's talk about that. So, yeah, thank you, Antonio. You know, um, let me just start off by saying why I wanted to be a cop. Okay. And what it meant to be to be in law enforcement. Um, so I, I was, I was a mistake, you know, uh, you know, my parents don't like to put it that way, but the reality is, is they were in high school. Um, they got together and they were dating and uh, here comes Dave nine months later. So okay. it wasn't planned, I wasn't planned. And so when my mom and dad were in high school when this happened, and so they quit high school. Oh, so wow. neither one of my parents, uh, both have a GED. Uh, neither one of them have a high school diploma or any further education, college or, or university-wise uh, higher education. So when at five, my mother and father got divorced for many yeah. reasons. And but at that time, it was me and my sister, and my mother and father got divorced. And my dad, uh, to be honest and transparent, he wasn't a father figure, right? Um, he didn't know how to be a dad. He was young, and I'm not making excuses for him, but he was more um, taking care of his own stuff. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he, had, he dibbled in alcohol and dibbled with uh, illegal narcotics and that kind of stuff, and he wasn't taking care of the family. So at five, my parents got divorced. My dad went on his way. My mom really had to take care of me and my sister and 
um, you know, it's because of my mom that who I am today, the man oh, that I am today. And, you know, she means the world to me, and everybody calls me a mama's boy to this day, and I don't care, I'll take that. That's but right. my mom is like my rock. So uh, um, because my mom worked three jobs, we went and we got babysat by my grandma and grandpa. And uh, my grandmother um, was a stay-at-home mom, took care of the family, uh, took care of the house, and my grandfather, he worked a, a, a minimum wage job his entire career at, in a, a machine shop in Berkeley right. Heights. And so me and my grandmother were playing uh, on the living room floor. They call it the parlor floor back then, but we were playing yeah. <laughs> on the living room floor. And, and I remember this, I was five, and I remember this distinctively. And I don't remember a lot, especially now getting old, but I remember this. <laughs> I remember that we were playing uh, on the living room floor and we were watching Batman on television. It was it. a TV series, Batman, Adam West. And at that moment, at that point in my life, Batman was my hero. I wanted to be Batman. I wanted to be this superhero that so awesome. took care of everything, right? And I remember uh, hearing my grandfather's car pull up into the driveway and me getting so excited that grandpa was home. I ran to the side door uh, where he came in and I saw my grandmother also run with me. But I now thinking about it, it wasn't excitement. Uh, my grandmother became nervous. So my grandfather came in the door and to make a very long story short, an argument ensued and because the argument was because dinner wasn't prepared and dinner oh. wasn't ready and and that argument quickly became violent oh, and wow. before you know it my my grandmother was being assaulted by my grandfather in front of my eyes oh, and my out of nowhere the front door of the house opened up and a police officer came in i don't know if the police officer came in because a neighbor called yeah. uh, because the police officer was i don't know the circumstance of how the cops got there but that police officer came in and that police officer saved my grandmother's life and, and didn't arrest my grandfather. There were no domestic violence laws back then. Wow. So at that moment, that cop became my hero. Oh, and Batman so was awesome. no longer my hero. And if, you, if you, you're lucky enough to, to share, spend some time with me, and I'm lucky enough to spend some time with you, yes. you'll see in my home that every year I was dressed up as a cop for Halloween. Oh, I played cops and robbers. From that moment on, all I wanted to do in my life was to become a cop. So now let's oh, fast wow. forward. Puberty hits and I find out and I recognize that I'm different. I didn't know what gay was. No. I just knew that I was different. Now remember, I was born uh, and raised in a very uh, religious household, Roman yes. Catholic. Uh, I was an Me altar too. boy, um, <laughs> very, very into church um, and religious values. Also ethnic values, uh, Italian and Polish. So yep. strong moral and ethnic values growing up. Gay was not okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was not okay. I knew that, but I didn't know how to deal with it at the time. So I hid it. I hid it. I, I covered it up. I didn't let anybody know. Um, and and then luckily enough, I passed the test for State Department of Corrections, and I was hired, and yeah. I became a state correctional officer. I fulfilled my lifelong dream of becoming a law enforcement professional. And uh, my coming out process was 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 out of anger. And I'll be honest, the coming out process for uh, the LGBTQ plus community is different for everybody. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you my story. Of course. I was sitting in the, in the officer's dining room at the uh, prison that I was working at. And I was sitting next to, we had a 30 minute break and I was sitting next to uh, a friend of who I thought, uh, somebody I went to the academy with, somebody who I worked with, somebody who I looked up to as a role model uh, and was my new family, my blue family. And we were, we only had 30 minutes to eat and we were in the officer's dining room. We were eating and talking and, and I'll never forget that at the time there was an inmate movement going on 
on the first floor corridor and the officer's dining room could see the corridor. And the, and the guy sitting next to me, um, my fellow officer, my partner, he stopped eating, he stood up and he pointed to an inmate. And he said, and I'll quote, uh, look at that fucking faggot. Oh. That's why all, that's why God created AIDS and all gays are gonna <gasps> die because of that. Oh and my then he gosh. sat back down and he started eating again, like nothing. That's now, terrible. He was talking about inmate and you know and it's the place we were working were, were very hardcore criminal element inmates predators right. right it wasn't about that it wasn't about how he was referring to the inmate it was about how he was stereotyping referring to yeah. gay people because in my mind at that moment all i thought to myself was uh-oh what's going to happen if he finds out that i'm gay Oh my gosh, I, that must have been up? horrible. Is he gonna back me up? It, it, it was the worst feeling you could ever feel in your life. It kind of forced me, you know, back yes. into the closet. And I wasn't out, right? But it forced me further back. Oh my to gosh. Come, to ever coming out. You know, paramilitary organization, this is 34 years ago. Um, gay wasn't okay. Um, you know, it was male dominated, very yes. uh, machismo profession. Yes. Um, and and especially in the place that we worked in corrections and you know it just wasn't okay so all these things started to go through my mind um and that night i left the jail i hung my uniform up in the locker uh knowing that i would never return again oh wow the jail didn't know i would never return again because in true dave D'Amico fashion i went home got packed a small bag drove to newark airport and got on a plane to puerto rico to land a beach and try to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life because my, that is a great thing to do. That is a great thing to do. You know, and, and honestly, when I when I was thinking about that, I thought, well, what do I like doing on top of law enforcement? I like to teach, so my, I was yes. focused on figuring out how to get into college and now get a teaching degree. But I was broken. I was broken for a lot of different reasons. I was broken because I was pushed further back into the closet of by course. the comments of my friend. And I was broken because my dream yes. was broken. All I've ever wanted to do in life was be a cop, right. be a, a, a hero and, and help. And me. you are a hero. And I wasn't able to do that anymore because of how I felt that day. So anyway, long story short, I get a phone call on my answering machine at the time from a, a, a now good friend and friend of the family who since passed away as well, Chief Swall, and he left a message on my answering machine. He said, hey, kid, you're WAP. Now, you can't say that now, um, but back then, WAP meant without pay, you were AWOL, right? Yeah. And you're WAP, and uh, if you're not in my office by Monday morning at nine o'clock, you are fired. And so I'm not gonna let myself get fired. Of course uh, not. I flew back, I was in his office Monday morning, and I gave him my badge, and I gave him my D card, and I said I quit. And I have to tell you, Antonio, so, Talking about stereotypes, you know, he was the stereotypical, he called himself a jail guard. Yes. You know, he worked his way up through the ranks from officer all the way up to chief. Uh, he walked around uh, in a professional uniform. He walked around with an unlit cigar and he was the epitome of what I thought I wanted to be right. at the time. And I tried to explain to him that I didn't want the job anymore. And he wouldn't listen. <laughs> we sat in his office for an hour. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking at myself in the, uh, in the in the camera now and i'm looking at this concrete wall in the back because i now work for the department of corrections again i know uh, <laughs> right I'm, back I'm at reminded it reminded of what i was looking at through him uh that day that concrete jail wall and i just couldn't wait to get out of that room and he wouldn't let me he said they, he said kid 
you're one of the best cops I got. Wow. I was 19. He said, kid, you got a great job here. Uh, kid, you're going to be able to retire in 25 years with a full pension. Why are you throwing this away? What, what? And he just wouldn't let me leave. Yeah. Finally, after a long conversation, I, I flirted out, and I'm gay. Thinking that that would be the impetus for him to say. Get out. Right, whatever. See you later. Right. Quite the contrary. He said, so what? Oh, my God. Your sexual Powerful. orientation has nothing to do with the way you perform your duties. 100%. And he said, you're part of our team. You're part of our family. Your sexual orientation means nothing to you being a good cop or correctional officer. Absolutely. And so he said, you're, you're suspended for five days. <laughs> Consequences to being a wall, not going Absolutely. out. Right? <laughs> and when you come back, you're going you're gonna to finish out your career. And you'll thank me for it later, he said. I never got to thank him uh, later because he, he passed away. But I thanked him a lot throughout my career Absolutely. for talking me back into being who I wanted to be, being, you know, and, and that being gay wasn't going to impact that. Anyway. No, you know what? I have to say, Dave, um, thank you for sharing that because it's really deep and it's you, it's your story. And I, this is my belief that there's people that are placed in our path for a reason right? Some people are there to help us and guide us. Some people are there to teach us something. The ones that we, the most difficult people that we deal with and the ones that treat us like absolute, you know what, they're, 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 they're also there to teach us something that we're very strong, that we are not to quit. And look, I mean, you are a hero in my eyes and so many people's eyes, you've done a lot not only for the community, you've done a lot to start groups, to, to enforce um, certain um, crimes that come out here. You support people no matter who they are. That is a true hero. Well, you know, never ever have I in my entire life looked in my mirror and, and said I was that hero that I looked up to that day. Uh, in my grandmother's house. I, you know, I don't look at it that way. I just, sure. I look at it though as though I'm fulfilling a dream yes. to be able to help people. You know, I think every cop, and I, and there's many times where I talk to law enforcement in different settings, and, and, and I always say, why did you take this job? And yeah. as corny as it may sound, the real reason every cop is a cop is because they want to help people. It, it yeah. feels good when you help people. Right. Yep. And it feels really bad when you hurt people. Yep. So, you know, a lot of the things that came out of that coming out process. And when I finally came out, when I came out, I came out of lineup. There were rumors going around the jail. Why was D'Amico gone? Why was he suspended? Why was he a wall? I wanted to stop all the rumors. I came out out of anger. Yep. I came out to my colleagues and I said, at lineup, I was gay. And <clears throat> at that day, a crazy thing happened, right? People walked up to me after the lineup, shook my hand and said, you got more balls than anybody I know. Right? <laughs> you too. And, and there were other people that never talked to me again. Oh, but wow. always had my back. Always had my back. So they just, we just yeah. didn't have that friendship relationship. Um, and then something else interesting happened after. Uh, as soon as lineup broke, I went to my post and inmates started to come up to me. Oh, wow. And say, hey, we heard that you said you were gay. And inmates would say to me, hey, D, we got your back. We're never oh, going to so let nothing amazing. else happen. You know, and, I, and again, I didn't know how to take that. Um, 
I don't want people to think I'm an inmate lover, you know, yeah. or, you know, there's consequences to that. actions, right? <laughs> and, and these individuals, these human beings, uh, are, are serving out the consequences to their actions, but they're still human beings. That's but right. anyway, he, he walked up to me and he, he said, the inmates would say, I got your back. And then, Antonio, they would try to tell me, and by the way, this cop's gay. And that cop, whoa, <laughs> I don't need to hear all that stuff. Your you know, those are facts, though. People, that, right? Those are facts. And, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I want to say, I know that you're not saying that you, you are condoning criminal acts and, 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 and saying it's okay to be in jail and things like that. But there's something that you said that is really important for people to realize out here, especially anyone that's wanting to be in this, in this line of work. Yes, we are dealing with people on the street that are doing things they're not supposed to be doing. But you know, those are human beings that you're dealing with. And they have whatever circumstances happened or whatever led them to that. That's what they've done. That does not mean that they're less, less than you and that they won't be the person that backs you up when you need it. And I want to say this. In, I had a call, and I think you know the story. I had a call where I was chasing someone, and I was working midnights. And I was chasing this guy down the railroad tracks, and it was very dark. And I left my car running on the other side of the street, door open and everything. I run through these railroad tracks. It gives you the chills still to this day. And I am by myself, and I am aware that I am by myself. And I'm really going into a dark alley. I don't know what's going to be there, right? All of a sudden, I hear a car screeching. It stops. I'm thinking it's another police car. And I'm still chasing this guy. I'm out of breath. I'm not the fastest runner, but I don't give up. I see a, a guy pass me, fly past me, and I still don't know it's not a cop. He tackles the guy down to the ground and holds him down. When I finally make it to where this guy is with, with this person I'm chasing, it was a young kid I had arrested who decided to help me because he said I helped him. Yeah. Now, remember, we are dealing with people on all different levels, and it's important to realize that those connections that we make and the things that we do for people and the things that we say may lead them to a path of self-discovery, to figure things out, to just feel better. Maybe no one has ever said that to them, you know? So it's important to, I just wanted to say that I do yeah. know where you're going with, with, with your story. Of yeah, you know, Antonio, the, the other thing that being openly gay, and remember, yes. coming out before it was popular, right? Before there was Queer Eye for a Straight Guy on TV, or yeah. it was socially acceptable to live your life as who you are. Before right. that is when I came out. And so the other uh, thing that happened as a result of that was I was able to educate the ignorant. That's what I say. I was able to educate including my own family because there were people, my, my colleagues at work, my family, they had this picture painted in their head of what a gay man was, right. all based on stereotypes and things that they've been told, bias and prejudices and all those things. And when they, saw, when I, they know me, and I don't fit any of those stereotypes that they've been taught. So one of the greatest things about coming out that day and then being open in law enforcement my entire career was that I was able to talk to my colleagues and get them to understand that we're all human, right? That's right. And that 
we have so much more in common than we don't. And even though my sexual orientation may be different than yours, I'm still Dave. That's right. And I'm still a cop and I'm still a human being and all those things. So I can't tell you how many times in my 34 years that police officers have come up to me, straight police officers, and have said to me, Dave, I got to tell you, before I knew you, I didn't like gay people. I didn't know anything about gay people. Right. Um, and I thought that gay was evil. And after meeting you, you kind of taught me just by who you are that, it, you know, gay, your sexual orientation is a small part of your life and it doesn't define you. And yeah. so that, and especially when my, these straight allies, friends of mine, you know, would say, you know, my son just came out to me. Yeah. And I only know how to deal with it now because of you. Yeah. You know, that, that just, and when I talk about chills, when you're talking about the story about um, that citizen helping you, that you've arrested, I just got the chills, you know, because yeah. right now, you know, kids aren't being kicked out of their houses. That's right. And kids aren't homeless. And because of a communication that I was able to have oh, with my colleagues so that got them to understand, you know, a little bit more about what it was like to walk a day in my shoes. And citizen shoes or residents or visitor shoes that, that their sexual orientation may be different from that officer. So that is really uh, the impetus to, to me helping people. And yeah. to say, you know, what you said was so important, I'll tell you. Um, there's not a, I have made many arrests just like you have. Yeah. I've given out many motor vehicle summonses and I've used force of course. multiple times throughout my 34 years, but I never disrespected anybody. I hope. I, I hope I haven't. And, so. and that plays triple fold yep. in life, right? So now I'm back into the field of corrections. And there are, there are inmates here and throughout our penal system that I have arrested. Right. And when I walk through facilities, they don't say F you. They don't call me faggot or anything. You know what they say? Hey, what's up, D? How you doing, D? And that's not because I did my job or the force or the arrest. It's because I treated them like a human being. That's right. It was a job. And I think that that is really important, um, especially to stress to our new generation of law enforcement. Of course. That everybody's a human being and yeah. everybody makes mistakes. There's no halo over this head. I have made many mistakes in my career and thankfully I was able to learn from them. Me too. And in corrections, <clears throat> we have this motto that we go by care, custody, control, we call it the three C's. And care is number one. You are responsible for the care of another human being. That's right. And just because they made a mistake, you should treat them the same way you would want to be treated or your mother or your father or your sister or your brother, somebody that you love uh, the same way. And at times that may mean that we have to use force. And at that times that may mean that we have to um, put handcuffs on somebody or That's take right. somebody under control. You know, the other th point I wanted to make is to, to what we said in the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. You know, we're asking police officers, no matter who they are, to do the most difficult job we yes. ask any human being to do. And what nobody realizes, that job is to manage human behavior. Yeah. Seriously. And <laughs> 100%. under stressful situations. And nope. nobody likes being told what to do. Mm -hmm. So to me, this false narrative that's going on right now about police brutality, 
Yeah. To me, it is a false narrative. It is a false narrative. Whatever you see, no matter what police action you put on television in a three minute, five minute, three second video clip, it's going to appear to be brutal. Right. Because police officers' job is to tell people what to do and manage human behavior. And look, for most human beings, we can't even manage ourselves. I That's often right. ask law enforcement professionals, can you manage your significant other? No. Can you manage your, your kids? No. Can you manage your friends? No. And you love these people. That's We're right. asking police officers to manage human behavior under very stressful situations. And so that is the most difficult. And you're human. Yeah. Cops are human. I think the public and some people forget that we're human. We have feelings. Uh, we hurt. Um, yep. We suffer yep. from seeing the bad and the ugly every day. And we fix everybody else's problems. Yes, we do. But we can't fix our own most of the time. Yeah. Because I, I we're wanna, always out there fixing everybody else's problems. 100%. I, I, everything that you're saying is um, something that is like I hold in my heart. Because, you know, people do forget that we're human beings and that we are starting our jobs sometimes with our own problems. And, and I call it the book bag effect, right? And I talk about this all the time. So we start out our day sometimes with an empty book bag and sometimes we don't have an empty book bag. We have a couple things in it. And the example could be, you know, your kid isn't getting ready fast enough and you have to get to work, right? Or your, ch or your child has a medical problem or you're having a problem with your spouse or your significant other, or you can't pay a bill, right? So now you're going to work with this book bag. It has a couple things in it. You get to work and they're putting more things in it. You know, it's probably your boss is not very nice or your coworkers are not very nice or you're dealing with a difficult call that you've been to 20 times and you're carrying this book bag and you're filling it up as you go through the day with all your problems. You get to your house and you unload, that book bag is full and you unload that book bag. And then the day, the next day, you still might have a full book bag. So people forget that we are dealing with our own things and that stress is real, that this is something that is not made up. So when a person goes to a call and they maybe snap at that other person, there's something more than just, it's not a good cop. How about it's a human being that is going through something and maybe there needs to be more out here to discuss how a person, a, a, an officer can deal with daily stressors, right? We're ignoring all these things. We're asking the police officers, first responders to be machines and we are not machines, all right? Oh, and that's, that's so you true. Know, that's where my passion comes from. I, I laugh at that book bag effect because you can actually see yourself going through the day with a book bag and filling it up. And I want people to, and you and I both are on missions, right? <laughs> I want people, we are, I want people to unload that book bag every single day with something that means something to them, you know? And it's very difficult to unload that book bag and have a conversation with somebody that doesn't understand what it's like to walk a day in your shoes. So right. we can talk about this, you and I, because we know what it's like to be in the profession and what yes, we, we face on a daily basis. But when we have this conversation with the public, who's Monday morning quarterback and what they saw on the news or in the social right. media or a conversation you're having, they don't get it. And there's, and it's very difficult to understand for them to understand what it's like to walk a day in our shoes. And I say this all the time to all of my law enforcement colleagues, professionals, friends, I say, you know, we do a really good job, especially in New Jersey, of training our police officers 
what it's like yeah. to walk a day in somebody else's shoes. We do it. cultural competency training, uh, diversity training, uh, professionalism training. We train, 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 and rightfully so, and there's a need for it. What we're bad at and what we're not that great at and what we have to do better is training the public what it's like to walk a day in our shoes. That's right. And so, and, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that we put our safety or the public safety at jeopardy in doing that. Uh, what I'm saying is once the situation's safe, we have an obligation to put our educator hat on and have a conversation with that person, that, that human being, about why what happened just happened and what we can do to make sure that that doesn't 100%. happen in the future. And so 100%. that is our obligation. And that's, you know, in every relationship that we have as human beings, whether it's with a significant other, family, friend, loved one, uh, it's all built on one thing, trust. Yes. Trust. And right now, we don't have the trust of the public. Yeah, we don't. Because of what one or two or three of us did. Um, and you know what? We're not going to regain that trust by pronouncement and proclamation. We're not yeah. going to regain it by the, the badge that we put on our shoulder, the patch that we wear, or the profession that we choose. It's going to be a one-on-one. And you know this, Antonio. How many times are there people in your own department that have, you'll see citizens, visitors, residents walk up and have a conversation with one cop, and they'll never talk to yep. another cop? All and the that's, time. And that's about not... Get, gaining respect through pronouncement of proclamation, that's gaining respect by giving it. There's only one way you can get respect by giving it. Yep. So well, I left corrections after six years. And uh, I left because I wanted to be a street cop. Yeah. And I, I was lucky enough to apply and become a police officer in the city of Asbury Park. Then, you know, passed the state police academy, which even to this day, and I got to tell you, you know, I've been through, in my career, I've been through three full academies and a couple partial academies. And, and, but every time I drive down uh, that road going to Seeger, <laughs> I still get this knot in my stomach and kind of want to throw up in my own mouth because yep. that really for me was, I respect it. I'm glad I went through it and me I'm too. honored and proud that I have that certificate with my me name too. on it. But that was a very difficult time for me. Remember, no, was. I was already a cop before. I was out of shape. I was, uh, you know, back in the closet there. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a lot going on and, you know, I was, <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy. I, oh God, I just the emotional remember. stuff is for real, dude. Yeah. It, it yeah. is for real. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, so we graduate the Academy, uh, all of us. And, uh, and then Asbury Park, I was in uniform patrol and community policing and a detective. And then with those years of experience in Asbury, I, I applied to the prosecutor's office and, yeah. and, uh, I was lucky enough and honored enough to be a detective in the prosecutor's office. For the majority of my career, 16 years, wow. I investigated bias. I uh, prosecuted bias crimes. I spoke to reducing bias, prejudice, and stereotypes. I, I furthered that. my career um, by uh, getting a master's degree. And I was assigned to professional responsibility. So yeah, for, the, for the majority of my career, I called out. Uh, bad behavior. I love it. And Monday morning quarterbacked uh, great police officers that were doing a great job. And so, you know, my whole career, my whole life has been about helping people. And, and I've been able to do that. So yeah. I, I retired um, at two, the end of 2015. I've always said, you know, it's funny because I always said, I'm a 30 year guy. I'm a 30. I love because for me, my whole life, going to work was never work. Yeah. I got up seriously. There, and <laughs> let me tell you. There were good days and there were many bad days. 
trust I'm not me, trying I'm not. to paint this rosy field out there about my career. There were a lot of bad days, but I still got up every day being so proud to be a cop and being so proud to be being part of a group and a team of people that really in their heart had the integrity to help people. So, you know, but at the end of 2015, um, it was only 27 years and I had enough. I had enough and, and it was a lot of things. It was sure the politics of, of where I was working. It was just a lot of things. And anyway, I hit the retirement button and I got out of here. I sold I my house. <laughs> I moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And by the way, I, know, I was following you. I was like, man, look at yeah. him. So He's doing it. <laughs> talking about Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The only reason that I love Fort Lauderdale so much, right, is because of September 11th. You know, really? September 11th, I was lucky enough to be one of my, one of 20 colleagues from the police department, Asbury Fire Department, EMTs, uh, that responded to Manhattan on that day. And we are no heroes. Uh, right. We, we, you know, stood on the perimeter of the crime scene. Yep. We did very little. Um, you know, but as you know, in law enforcement, you have to pick your vacation time. The year, you know, the January yeah. before, and it goes by seniority. Yeah, it's, so it's crazy. Two weeks after September 11th was my vacation pick. And uh, th there were no air flights. So my trip to Mexico was canceled. And yeah. so I got in my car and I drove and I was going to drive to Miami. I wanted to go to Miami. Of well, course you did. I was too tired, too <laughs> tired to get to my, and I stopped at Fort Lauderdale. And I, and I, I stayed in the hotel that night and I never left. And so I just loved it so much. So I went You're to awesome. Fort Lauderdale, relocated to Fort Lauderdale, four months retired. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> you go from, you go from solemn problems. You go from being relevant. You go from the phone blowing up and the emails and just doing something and having a mission yeah. to waking up in the morning and not knowing what you're going to do. Yeah, talk, you, yeah, talk about something. that. Talk about that. I really want to know. That is very, I mean, look, you know, the only advice I can give to any of my friends and colleagues about retirement is um, if you go, you only you know when it's time, yep. don't be rushed or forced, and have a plan. Have a plan because mm -hmm. it, it, I became irrelevant. And there were days that I would wake up in sunny 85 degree, mile from the beach in the place that made me feel safe and welcome. Right feeling alone and oh, gosh. Feeling like what what am i doing like I, i'm not relevant anymore so in true dave domingo fashion i applied for of course you did what to do i applied to the broward county sheriff's office and i was accepted no and way wow, what a mistake <laughs> that was now nothing i have nothing bad to say about any of the organizations that i've had the honor and privilege of of working with working with them for uh, and I won't say there's nothing. I know you're not like that. But I went into it thinking it was going to be like me being in Asbury, the, the funnest part of my career. Patrol, uh, right. car stops, get busting the bad guys, community relations, and you know what? The job changed. Well, number one, I don't look good in that ugly dark green uniform. That I'll say is bad. That green uniform, I just uh, it's just not. So me. green is in your color? No, it's not my color. <laughs> Green's not my color. Um, and then. More importantly, the job changed. And you know, I I wasn't I wasn't liking it. I wasn't liking it. And I had to make a decision. And and the decision I made was, you know, it, it, I, this is not for me. Yeah. So and luckily, 
at that time, I got a call from my current employer in my home now. And uh, I was recruited back uh, to be the chief investigator here at Middlesex County Department of Correctional Youth Service. And I got to tell you, and I'm not saying this just because I'm here. There's nobody here, um, but I'm sure that maybe some of my colleagues will hear me uh, on this podcast. I'll, I'll say this. This is probably the best law enforcement job I've had. Oh, good for you. In my 34-year career. Um, we are we are a family here, uh, a team, a very dysfunctional family, don't, and I'm part of it. Don't, don't get me wrong, right. we're a family and we're a team. And, and we are, I gotta I got say, you know, we're probably um, one of the most professional organizations I've had the pleasure of working uh, for and with my entire career. I love being here. I love being back in to it. I love being able to affect change and to assist and to help people. Um, I love, you know, changing the perception of yeah. internal affairs. I mean, that's the big, the biggest thing. I think my biggest accomplishment in my career is changing the internal perception amongst my friends and colleagues and my family that's about right. what internal affairs is. You know, yep. um, so you know, I am so honored uh, to oh. be back in it to keep on doing it. Now, I'm glad again, that you're in it. I'm glad I'm, that you're in it. I'm a busy guy, right? And I, I got to keep busy because otherwise I go nuts. So. Um, I'm the chief investigator here. I teach at two colleges, at Brookdale Community College, uh, at Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn. I'm a professor nice. of criminal justice sociology. I'm a president of the Bias Crime Officer Association. I'm a board member of Garden State Equality and the co-chair with my very good friend, John Hayes from State Police, the nice. LGBTQ plus law enforcement liaison program. And our mission is to rebuild trust between the LGBTQ community and law enforcement. I love it. Um, so there's so many great things going on right now for me and I'm relevant. Um, the bad part is that with all this stuff going on in my life, I haven't gone to the gym and I've been eating poorly and I put the weight so, back on. I can't so take busy. it. Look at me. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh my God, look at my double chins. Look at this. I got to, so. You know what that is? I got to take care of myself. We, you have to take care of yourself, but you can't feel guilty about it and beat yourself up over it. The fact that you're talking about it right now, that means that you're going to do something about it and you're going to prepare. You're going to bring your stuff to work with you. Take every chance you can to walk around because you're doing that already yeah. and just be give yourself some grace because you know everything that you're doing you're doing it for others but you must also bring that back to you and um yeah well, i'm so grateful for you i really I am so. selfishly i am you know the reason i'm involved in law enforcement is i don't want to help people i want to do good That's things right. for other people but selfishly i'm doing it for myself too because yeah. i got to stay relevant i otherwise i am you know depression sets in quick no, it and, does. And let's 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 be real. I I, I want to be real about this. You know, post Mr. Floyd. Well, first of all, post retirement number one, first time, depression set in. It was it was hard. Yes. I, I didn't want to get up in the morning. I didn't feel like I was relevant. Uh, I slept more than I should have. Uh, I dabbled in going to bars because it was social. So I I was drinking more than I should right. have been drinking. I was feeding my emotions with food. So I was eating at the wrong times and eating the wrong things because me, I'm Italian it's and eating okay, makes right. me happy, right? So all those things, you know, and I self-diagnosed. And then once I self-diagnosed, I talked to a professional. I mean, it is important. There's nothing um, wrong with I, that. Yeah, I, I had to. Uh, that, was re that was very important for me. So this resiliency thing that you're working on, oh, that you. you're a part of, is so important for us 
for you, you, for me, for everybody involved in law enforcement, because we've got to recognize when that's starting to set in, before you go down that rabbit hole, to take control of it. We like to take control of things yep. as law enforcement, type A personalities. And we got to take control of our, our own mental health. Yes, yes. So, I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful for you saying that because, you know, everything that leads us to the things that we want to do, it's because there's something tied to it. And I wasn't always a calm person. I wasn't always uh, so open about things that I went through. Um, and then one day something happened and it, it led me to that place. Silence, me being silent about what I've been through is not helping anybody. No. So if you step forward and say, hey, you know what? As a kid, I went through this and this is why I acted this way. I want you to know everything's gonna be okay, but you need to ask for help then that, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. And um, that's what has set me on this passion of talking about mindfulness, talking about helping officers and just really connecting them to the pieces that, that, that sometimes are missing, right? Yeah, yeah. no, you're, so, you're absolutely right. Thank you, I appreciate it. It's so relevant to thank right you. now. And even now, and, and off Zoom, you and I have had many conversations yes. about post-COVID and, and the post Mr. Floyd's murder with the anti-law enforcement sentiment. It's depressing. It it's is depressing. depressing to get up every day where you all you want to do is help people. Yeah. And you're painted with this brush of you are brutal, you are a white supremacist, you are a racist, right. you are bad, law enforcement's bad, all law enforcement's evil. Yeah. You know, that creates this image that you paint in your head, and it doesn't, when you look in the mirror, it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't. So we gotta talk about all these things. It's yeah, we do. It's important to talk about these things. It is. Uh, one thing that I find that is very important, and I know that it's gonna be handled, because I know us, is there has to be open communication, and there has to be um, something that we start doing to speak up for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to post something on Facebook and say, we're all good. We know we need to be up there talking about this with people and making it under people understand what's happening. Not every cop out here is bad. And you're right. You do get depressed. I remember going into the locker room and looking at my uniform, some, something that I'm so proud of wearing and saying, oh, my God, I'm putting this on. Somebody, somebody might kill me today. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those are real feelings. Those are real things. Not talking about them does not mean that they're not going to happen or be taken care of. So. I know that we are going to handle this. I know we're going to do it, yeah. Dave. Well, we don't have a choice, right? We don't have a choice. We, we have to do it. Yep. But we have to do it also listening to the community, right? So That's right. They have valid points. There's valid reasons why certain communities don't trust law enforcement. It doesn't yep. help when you, you, know, you have a situation that happens 27 states away where a law enforcement officer is doing something that they weren't trained to do and that is illegal. It doesn't help, but, um, so part of fixing it is also listen, right? You know, and a lot of, you know, I have always said this and you, and you know this, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Law enforcement, we like to talk. We like to solve problems. We like to solve the problem and move on to the next thing. But right. we also have to learn how to listen, you That's know, right. to what the problem is and how to fix it because we have the answers of how to fix it, you know, but we just got to be able to apply those answers. That's right. We do have to um, listen. We have to connect those pieces. And I think that you've done all that with um, all the work that you've done in 
in your 34 years uh, in law enforcement. I find that these conversations, we need to have them more and we need to talk about this more and we need to let people know out here as well, look, this is what's going on. It's not secret, it's not a secret. Let them see what's happening in, in our lives as well. And I mean, I know that I don't have all the answers and that I know that I don't have, I can't just put a bandaid over this because it's bigger than that, you know? But I know that these are the steps that we must take to, to help make things better. Yeah, no, I agree, yep. I agree. You know, and, and I wanna say something to you personally. <laughs> you know, I, you don't, I hope you, I know you don't know, but I hope you do eventually know how much I personally as Dave cherish our relationship. Oh God. And the things that we've, Antonio, the things that we've went through, yes, not only in the agency that we worked for together at one time, um, in the police academy, in our careers, yes. uh, in our personal lives, you know, uh, we have a lot in common. And, yes, and I always looked at you the same way you said you looked at me. I always looked at you as somebody who I knew I could talk with somebody I knew I could share all of this stuff with and that you would not judge me and that you would just be there to listen and to, to, to talk with me about it. Even oh. when I'm wrong, you would tell me when I'm wrong, but you would listen. <laughs> I love you right? so, so much. <laughs> I cherish that so much. And, and, uh, that is, you know, and that's really the bond that law enforcement has. It, you know, when I, when I see this rhetoric about, the thin blue line uh, and, yep. and what some people think that means, uh, it really pains me that that's the, what they believe it means because that's definitely not what it means. And that's not what you and I have been fighting our no. entire careers um, <laughs> against, right? It's no. not about covering up or, nope. or making excuses for bad behavior. It's not about um, taking sides when, especially when the, when the side is wrong. It, that's yep. not what it's about. It's no. about sometimes we're the only person or thing that we have that we can talk to that's because right. we understand one another that we do we get yep. it yep i um i'm so honored that you would say that and i'm really glad that we are friends and that we met nobody meets by accident yeah. um and i have to tell you that i have i've always 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 held you close to my heart and um i just the same thing that you said that you could uh, you could come to me and talk about anything i felt the same way with you and that i know that there's some secrets that we have in our in our bowls Don't put right? them out here. yeah we're not we're not absolutely not but those that's what means so much and you're 100 correct you have to talk with people that you trust you have to um, go to them and say that you need something um, and build those relationships because you cannot i'm gonna say this and i don't want anybody to get upset you cannot do it alone, all right? No. You can think that for a few minutes because I used to be like that, but you also need people to help you along the way and hold you up. So with that being said, do you have any final thoughts, my friends? You know, um, thank you for giving me the opportunity for some final thoughts. I, I really didn't think about final thoughts, but what, what I will say is to really reiterate what you said, you know, I'm only Dave because of all the people I've surrounded myself with and my mother's foundation. Okay. I'm the man I am because of who I associate with and because of who I look up to and because of who I learn from. That's right. And, um, you know, and so in closing, I, I think it's so important to number one, 
for law enforcement, my friends, my colleagues, to look at themselves in the mirror and recognize, you know, who you are. Yes. And then to expand upon that uh, by showing it. And one way that we could show it is, is releasing the stress, yes. talking to each other, recognizing when we need to talk to somebody, and then continuing to rebuild these bridges. Because, yes. you know, they're going to continue to be broken. And a lot of times by ourselves I and know. by our, our profession. But... <laughs> But we gotta re, we gotta we we can't give up. We're not we don't fail because That's we know right. law enforcement. If we fail, that can mean our life. That's right. We don't fail, and we're not gonna fail on this either. So thank you, Antonia, for you're doing welcome. what you're doing. Yeah. Not only with your police department, but doing these blogs and, and going out there and and talking and and then also sharing with this with the community so that the community understands what it's like to walk a day in a police officer's shoes. Let's keep on doing it. Let's do yes. it together. Let's yes, never we will. Up. I love you so much, Dave. Thank you so much for, for coming on, for all your kind words, and, and I know your heartfelt words, and for helping me connect us to the community. I really, really appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. Love you. Love you, too. Take care, and please be safe. You, too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wellness For You. Please remember to do something daily to relieve your stress. Head on over to www.itsmetony.com for tips. And check out Tony's Facebook page, Wellness For You. Stay safe, friends. Until next time.